It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Talking with today's guest restored my faith. I'm excited for you to hear from Republican Bob Inglis about his work to combat climate change. This is Beth from the right. While Sarah is still on vacation, you're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode of The Briefcase. I hope that you will check out our interviews on other podcasts this week. We were both on Around the Table. JC and Maggie were so kind to have us on, and we had a really fun conversation. And Sarah was a guest on What Should I Read Next with Ann Bogle. She got some very politically themed reads to check out from Ann, and Ann will be on our show soon with some recommendations for our readers. I also want to welcome all of our new listeners who came to us through those podcasts and otherwise. I hope that you will get involved with our communities on Facebook at Pantsuit Politics, Twitter at Pantsuit Politic without an S. One of the most special things about our podcast, the way our listeners connect to each other. Sometimes we say that the less this show is about Sarah and me, the more good we're doing. So I hope that you'll come into the community there online and get involved. We had so much interesting feedback this week that I want to wait until Sarah back to start addressing it because we we just got really thoughtful comments. So stay tuned. The Friday feedback will be back possibly on Tuesday next week because uh, I definitely want Sarah's voice in that conversation. I want to thank Christine, Sydney, Nicolette, and Paige, our all-star subscribers. If you would like to know more about supporting Pantsuit Politics, you can check out pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And I'm going to dive right into what was just a wonderful experience for me in interviewing Bob Inglis. Bob is a former congressman from South Carolina. He launched a 501c3 republican.org. It's republic and then en.org based out of George Mason University. His intent is to build an echo right centered on free enterprise solutions to climate change. And he is just a really inspiring person. He lost his primary in 2010, and this is something he'll talk about in our interview, really labeled as a rhino, in part for speaking out about climate change. He lost to Trey Gowdy, and so I think that's just a really interesting context for our conversation. I want to tell our new listeners that we have two real themes in our podcast, Grace and Nuance, 
and I was recently asked to write a six-word memoir for a local publication, and I summarized my life in six words, prioritizing grace and keeping it nuanced. And so my jaw nearly hit the floor when, completely unprompted, Bob started talking about climate change in terms of grace. So I'm just, I'm thrilled for you to listen to uh, this 2015 JFK Profile and Courage Award winner. It was an honor to have him on, and I can't wait to hear your reaction. Would you mind to just start off by telling our listeners a little bit about your career and how you came to start this Echo Right movement? Yeah, so I um, I served for six years in Congress from the reddest district in the reddest state uh, in the nation, uh, Greenville, Spartanburg, South Carolina, uh, basically saying that climate change was uh, nonsense. I didn't know anything about it except that Al Gore was for it. And so that was the end of the inquiry since I did represent what I think to be probably the reddest district in the reddest state in the nation. But then I was out of Congress six years and running again um, in 2004. And my son came to me and uh, he just turned 18. He's voting for the first time in 2004. So he said to me, Dad, I'll vote for you, but you're going to clean up your act on the environment. And so um, his four sisters agreed, his mother agreed. So I had this important new constituency. Um, and so that was step one of a three-step metamorphosis for me. Step two is going to Antarctica and seeing the evidence in the ice core drillings. Step three was um, another science committee trip, um, uh, really, really something of a spiritual awakening, uh, an Aussie climate scientist showing us coral bleaching at the Great Barrier Reef. And I, um, I could tell that Scott and I shared a worldview before any words were spoken. Um, you know, St. Francis of Assisi said, uh, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. And so um, Scott was preaching the gospel. Scott Heron is his name, was preaching the gospel. And I could see it in his eyes and on his face and hear it in his voice that he was worshiping God in what we were seeing. And so um, later we had a chance to talk and he told me about conservation changes he was making in his life in order to love God and love people. And I... I really want to be like Scott, loving God, loving people. So I came home and introduced the Raise Wages, Cut Carbon Act of 2009. Um, it was a revenue-neutral, border-adjustable carbon tax. And it got me in a, in a boatload of trouble, I suppose, with the, with the Tea Party. Can you talk a little bit more about that boatload of trouble and sort of what happened from there? Yeah, so I... Um, uh, you know, in, in 08, I'd had a primary opponent who called me the Al Gore of the Republican Party. Uh, he, he did not mean that as a compliment. Okay. And uh, then, uh, we, so we knew 10 would be a difficult cycle, uh, but it turned out to be uh, very difficult, of course. With um, In the runoff, uh, Trey Gowdy got uh, 71% of the vote, and I, after 12 years in Congress, got 29% of the vote. So it was a rather spectacular face plant there. Um, and then after that, though, I, um, I had uh, a, uh, some folks come to me and say, you know, you're an unusual zoo animal, a conservative who says climate change is real, an actual conservative. Um, so will you speak and write for the proposition? So I started really uh, this effort in 2011. Um, and then um, uh, we've grown a team. Now there are seven of us working in this, um, three in D.C., uh, one in Wisconsin, one in Florida, and two of us live and work from South Carolina. Um, and so uh, along with um, over 1,200 Republicans, we call them, uh, those are people that, um, that are standing with us across the country. You, you said actual conservative uh, in those remarks, and I think here in 2016, that's a hard thing to define. What do, what do you mean when you say that? Well, I'll give you some rankings. Um, my scores among some, I think, reputable groups, uh, American Conservative Union rating, I had a 93 lifetime score, 100% Christian Coalition, 100% National Right to Life, 
A with the NRA, zero with the Americans for Democratic Action, that's a liberal group, and 23 by some mistake with the AFL-CIO. I was really hoping that that union would give me a zero. Um, so I'd, I'd sort of like a recount on that, and I would like a zero. <laughs> so pretty conservative guy um, who fit a conservative district, but I committed some heresies against the orthodoxy that became important in the Great Recession. You know, I... I um, I voted against the troop surge in Iraq because uh, I had conservative concerns about what my friend George W. Bush was doing in Iraq. Um, I was for comprehensive immigration reform, although we never called it that. And um, I voted for TARP, the Troubled Asset Relief Program, the bank rescue that the Tea Party can never forgive. But my most enduring heresy was just saying that climate change is real and let's do something about it. That that uh, felt, I think, to people that I had crossed to the other side, had become, you know, somebody marching with Al Gore rather than marching with the Republican Party. So I'm a Republican, and the most frequent comment that we get about our show is that I'm, I disturb many of our li- liberal listeners' conception of what a Republican is because they find me to be reasonable. Um, even when they don't agree with me, they can stand to listen to me and and they do find some common ground with me. So I really relate to this idea of uh, there's kind of a built-in and tightly baked cake of what people think of a Republican is now. And, and I think a lot of that comes from those Tea Party times. So it interests me to hear you talk about the heresy of climate change as the, the worst of those sins. Uh, why do you think the party is so entrenched in its opposition to to not just the solutions proposed about climate change, but the existence of man-made climate change? I think it's because we assume the solution is a bigger government that taxes more, regulates more, and that takes away liberty. Um, and that would be a justified um, hunch, uh, given the fact that you know, uh, it, it appears that the godless scientists, they're not all godless, as I've just indicated with people like Scott Heron, but they, it appears that the godless scientists got together with the UN bureaucrats and uh, then they they looped in the Wall Street traders and they came up with a thing called cap and trade, which of course was immediately branded cap and tax. Um, and so... Um, I voted against cap-and-trade because I thought it was hopelessly complicated, embarrassing, and the free allocations for the well-connected, that it would have decimated American manufacturing, and it was a massive tax increase. So for all those reasons, I voted against it. Proposed an alternative, um, which is this revenue-neutral, border-adjustable carbon tax. Um, But I think that um, what people have this hunch that if we're going to act on climate change, it's going to have to be something like what we've seen in cap and trade. So it's going to be big and complicated and involve a bigger government and bigger taxes and maybe regulations. And and, and so what we have here is uh, what psychiatrists call a solution aversion, uh, where we we just think the solution is anathema. And so, therefore, we doubt the existence of the problem. Um, and that that may sound strange. It may sound like, gee, isn't that irrational to, um, to uh, you know, uh, just because you don't like the solution, think that you don't have a problem. But it's what we do all the time. I mean, it's um, if, if I tell you, here's a plan of surgery for that back problem you're having, even though I hope you don't have a back problem, but if... If, if if I tell you the plan of surgery is first we remove your head, after we've got your head off, we work on your spine, then we put your head back on, you're going to say to me, thanks, doc, I'm feeling a lot better. I don't have a back problem. Um, that's what it is with climate change. Conservatives heard this proposed surgery uh, called cap and trade, and they said, we don't have a problem. If that's the solution, we don't have a problem. I think that's all true, and it's it's very similar to something that I recently said in response to a listener question about this topic. As I've reflected on it, though, I, I wonder if it is conservative media. In some way, I think that that 
initial starting place has filtered down into something deeper because I talk with people, especially from my hometown, which is a very rural area with almost no manufacturing. These are people who make their living in agriculture, who who are adamantly opposed in a really deep way to the idea of man-made climate change. And I wonder how that issue has become so personal to people who don't have the kind of interest that initially created conservative opposition to this idea. Yeah. What do you, what do you think it is? What's your, what, what do you think that is? I think somehow maybe we've communicated in, in some way that it, it's, it reminds me a little bit of conversations about race. Like if we accept that man-made climate change is real and that we're all actively contributing to it in some ways every day, it must mean that we are bad people who are singularly responsible for fixing this issue. I don't know. And maybe that takes it too far. But I, I sense a very deep and personal opposition to this issue that, that I'm trying to understand. Yeah, interesting. I think that it, could be, it could be like race in that um, I, I think if you, well, it's, it's like this um, guilt without redemption brings <laughs> brings paralysis. And so it could be that what we're seeing here is that people in the race context and in climate change, they sense the accusation of guilt. They see no redemption. They don't believe that grace is available. And therefore, they go into paralysis or to rejection of the observation of the problem. I mean, they, they just because they don't think that there's, they can be redeemed, and they don't think that grace is available. So perhaps it does take somebody that, that really understands what um, Jack Miller, a, a, a pastor uh, who's dead now, uh, had a series, a video series uh, called Sonship, and um, uh, it was a Bible study that was important to my wife and I and to uh, various people in our church. And Jack Miller starts that with two f- sort of famous lines, if you know Sonship. Uh, line one was, cheer up, you're worse than you think. <laughs> and line two was, but you're more loved than you ever dared imagine. And so um, I think that if if people really don't believe that, that they they don't believe that much grace is available. And then, of course, Sonship goes on to say that grace is, is really available in huge supply and uh, that the cross is really big and really redemptive and redeems all of creation, not just me and my personal situation, but all of creation. That, wow, that's a great big... That's a great big supply of grace. And in which case, I can admit, for example, that I, I, I do have racial um, biases. That that of, of yeah, if I, you know, I, I remember being um, in downtown Greenville. I guess it's last Christmas, and going in this public restroom, and I was the only white guy in there, and there were three young black guys in there that you know, don't dress like I do, don't sound like I do. And and I was nervous, and I had to ask myself, now, why am I, why am I really nervous at this moment? Um, and it's because it was unfamiliar. It's like they, they, the way they were talking, the way they were dressed, it just wasn't, wasn't uh, you know, the kind of people that I'm used to dealing with. And so, um, now, if, if I'd been in there with, say, uh, you know, six other white guys and, and those three uh, black, uh, you know, 20-year-olds uh, or 18-year-olds, I might have felt more comfortable, but I felt, uh, and so I've got I've to deal with that. And I, I know that uh, grace is available to me and I can therefore admit it and try to do something about it. But if I, if I didn't think that grace was available then I think I'd have to deny that I no I wasn't I wasn't frightened in that bathroom no I wasn't at all 
um, and just basically deceive myself. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and Jean also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. My husband and I used to really enjoy going to Las Vegas and we've come to a place in our lives now where we go and the entire time we're bothered by the waste that we see in Las Vegas. And that's not to uh, put down Las Vegas or anyone who loves it. It's just that sort of awareness like you're describing with race. Once you have that awareness it forces you to be pretty uncomfortable. And I, I do think that that might be the source of some of this resistance. So you're, you're working on moving past this. Uh, you talk about the carbon tax as an alternative that you proposed while still in Congress. What kind of solutions should we be focused on as a country today? Well, I think uh, what you're helping me to see here is that, yeah, we really, uh, maybe this is the, a good way to put it is uh, is is wow we've got a problem but we've got an exciting solution um you know in other words uh um sell the sizzle of the solution quickly so that people can overcome the paralysis of their uh sense that there's guilt with no redemption but there's huge redemption uh, there's a huge redemption opportunity here if if we just fix economics, what, what we think here is we've got a problem of economics that has an environmental consequence. So um, 
the problem of economics is that all the costs aren't in on all the fuels. Um, we, 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 don't, we don't have accountability. And when you lack accountability, things go, things go amok pretty quickly. Um, you know, if I, uh, if, if I'm, if, if, if I just sort of have somebody's expense account to, uh, to charge dinner on, well, I, I might just go amok, you know, and start ordering all kinds of things. But if I'm paying myself, I'm pretty careful about what I'm going to buy for dinner off of that menu, right? And so, um, so what we have here is um, when it comes to emissions, it's like it's on somebody else's expense account, and um, and we're not responsible. And so the result is that all kinds of mischief is happening, um, where um, where the cost aren't seen in the products. So, um, for example, if I'm uh, burning coal-fired electricity here at my house, um, I, I'm uh, not aware of the health cost of those fossil fuels. I'm not aware of the climate cost. I'm just aware of what it costs me at the meter. But at the meter, it's only a fraction of what that's actually costing um, my children and grandchildren on climate damages. And it's a fraction of what's costing current people who are alive uh, by the health costs that it's imposing on them. In other words, for the soot that's in the air as a result of the burning of that coal. Um, and so if you put those costs on the meter, I'd see the true cost of electricity and I'd be innovating. I'd be surely buying uh, high efficiency appliances and bulbs and every other thing. I'd be turning my thermostat down. I'd be insulating my windows and, and walls. I'd be, I'd be doing all kinds of things, uh, um, and, and it would make it so that there's consumer-driven demand for all those innovations. If I, if I knew the true cost of, um, of the emissions out of my tailpipe, it would sure make an electric car much more attractive, or it would drive the uh, possibility of uh, hydrogen fuel cells. I mean, all kinds of new technologies would become possible. So. What we, what we especially need to do at republicn.org is really sell that, that exciting free enterprise future that comes with that innovation. Um, the environmental left tends to, to sell it as, gee, well, we need to be responsible and protect and nurture. And those are themes that work for progressives, but they don't really work for conservatives. Conservatives want to hear about how they can achieve and accomplish things. And, um, and, and so we really can, through the free enterprise system, accomplish a great deal here. If you embrace that free enterprise, think of the small businesses to do all the things that you talked about consumers demanding that, that could come up out of this. The, the other opportunity that I think as Republicans we miss sometimes in this discussion is climate change as a gateway to diplomacy. Is, is that something that you see? I'd love your thoughts on what happened in Paris and where there are opportunities to work with our international partners toward a common cause. Yeah, of course, I think the important thing in Paris was uh, the, the, the sense of, um, of decision and commitment to act. That's all um, it establishes a will to act. Now, of course, we've got to find ways to act. Um, and that's, um, so it's an important step we, to form the will. Uh, now we've got to take the equally or maybe even more difficult step of finding the way. But, you know, I had an experience once at a conference in Ireland that taught me something about how our uh, how other countries may view us. Um, I went there with some concern that I would be treated as the laggard American uh, dragging dragging his feet, you know, slow to act, American, uh, Republican, conservative problem, you know. Um, but that's not how I was greeted in Ireland. Um, the Irish basically um, said to me, we need you. We're, we're very small here in Ireland, and it's 
it's up to you, our cousins in America, um, with all your wealth and all your innovative capacity to solve this. The world is waiting on you. We need you. And um, I think if if more Americans could sort of sense and, and see what I sensed and saw in Ireland, I think they'd they'd be inspired about how the world looks to us to solve challenges. And, and then we'd, we'd, uh, we'd rise up to that expectation. When you think think about about the Obama administration and what, how it has approached this issue, uh, what are your sort of uh, pros and cons of what you've seen from the current administration? Well, at RepublicN.org, we think that, the clean power plan is precisely the worst way to deal with climate change. If we had to sit around and think about it, we couldn't come up with the worst way. Um, it's uh, it's a regulatory, domestic-only, clumsy, sector-by-sector, prone-to-litigation uh, solution that actually sets up the possibility that we're going to be the double losers. If we act, because this is domestic-only, and nobody else acts, then we lose employment to those who don't um, have a similar sort of regulatory pricing in of climate damages. But we also lose the race to reduce emissions because if a company decides it can't take the regulations here and it picks up and moves, when it goes to China, it's actually going to emit more once it gets there. And so not only do we lose employment, we lose the race to reduce emissions. So it's a double loser situation. Um, And so now if President Obama were on with this right now, what he'd say is, yeah, Inglis, I know that. But um, you don't have the support that I would need in in the U.S. House and Senate. I need maybe 25 Republicans in the House and 15 Senate Republicans to vote for what you're talking about at RepublicN.org, and you don't have them. And so I, President Obama, am going to do the only thing I know to do, which is use this rusty old tool in a rusty old toolbox called the Clean Power Plan or the Clean Clean Air Act, and I'm going to I'm going to do that because the Supreme Court's ordered me to do something, and so. It's the only tool I've got, and I, I got to use it. And and he'd be right about that. Um, so it's up to us to to show that there are conservatives who could be for this bold kind of action we're talking about that really does believe in the power of free enterprise. And if we can show them, then I think the people like President Obama would switch off, or if Hillary Clinton gets elected, she would switch off of the clean power plan, and two, this more efficient uh, carbon tax. I've heard you say that you will vote for Donald Trump under no circumstances. What do you make of the conversation in the 2016 race on climate change and perhaps on what it means to be a conservative going forward generally? Well, I think that um, it's pretty clear to me that Donald Trump is not a conservative. He's a populist. Uh, Populism um, in, in particularly of his style, is a very dangerous thing uh, because it uh, it basically um, offers no solutions, only the amplification of our fears, and um, as such, is a very dangerous. Um, a very, it's not even a philosophy. It, it's a hodgepodge of half thoughts and. Um, and uh, half-thought-out ideas um, that have no philosophical basis, um, except sort of, uh, I want to drive fears, and looks like I can uh, get you going in my direction by driving some fears. And do you, do you think that Hillary Clinton does have that openness that you just described to, if, if Republicans would come to the table on climate change, could we get something in a Clinton administration that, that makes sense for everyone? I, I think we could, but I may be a dreamer on that. Um, but I, I admit to that. I admit to being a dreamer. But there's a song about that. I'm not the only one. You know? mm-hmm. But, um, I, you know, I think that 
what would encourage me a while back is knowing that Art Laffer, Ronald Reagan's economics advisor, is a neighbor of Al Gore's in Nashville, Tennessee. And um, Art, uh, of the famous Laffer curve, was over at Al Gore's house. And they talked it through and came to the conclusion that what we're talking about at RepublicEN.org is uh, acceptable to both of them. Um, Al, because he wants to reduce emissions. Art, because he wants to untax income. And um, so when I heard that, you know, you can, uh, that, that, that these two could agree, I, I got inspired to think that we could bring America together. So if Hillary Clinton were to win the presidential race, I think that um, if uh, if she wanted to go for really bold, um, I think uh, somebody like Al Gore might be able to convince her that um, that a revenue-neutral, border-adjustable carbon tax is the opportunity for a worldwide solution rather than a domestic-only lose-lose proposition where we lose employment and we lose the race to reduce emissions. How do you get to cooperation of the world on that economic solution? Um, a very important question. And here's, here's the way we think it goes. is It's not by an international agreement. It's not by long negotiations uh, that, 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 uh, that get dragged out for decades. It's rather a bold move by the United States to say, we're acting. We're going to impose this tax which is basically just being accountable for emissions. We're going to untax income here in America dollar for dollar so there's no growth of government. And we're going to apply it to imports. And now, countries that are importing stuff, make your own decisions. Um, do you want to continue to pay taxes on entry in our ports that those taxes would be remitted to Washington, of course, or do you want to do this in your home country and then remit taxes to your home capital? Well, governments everywhere want more money. And so, of course, they're going to apply it at home. And now China would challenge uh, this uh, arrangement in the World Trade Organization. But we think we can win that based on precedents in the chemical industry. And afterwards, after we've won... We figure that China, within 24 hours, because they have an amazing way of reaching consensus, would, <laughs> would impose the same price on carbon dioxide. And then the whole world would be following after that. And then, then, then we'd have what we're looking for here, which is where we started, which is looking for accountability and the good things that come from accountability. When, when we're fully accountable for our missions, it wouldn't be just 300 million uh, Americans looking for a solution and innovation. It'd be 7 billion people around the world looking for innovation. The market would be enormous for all kinds of new products. That uh, Everything from Tesla to the, the Ford Electric that's coming out would, would have would have scores and scores of customers banging down the door looking for that better alternative. And the result would be innovation that would be very exciting and very, very wealth creating. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies. So we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. 
Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. So I'm having this conversation with you from Kentucky, where, as you know, coal is a, a critical part of our economy. How do I, if I'm a person who depends on coal for my livelihood, and I see where this is going, and I and I fully embrace it, and I believe that on the other side of this transition, there there is new industry, new jobs, new possibility, how do I see myself across that bridge? You know, what do I do in the meantime as that transition happens slowly, as I see my opportunities diminish and I'm not I don't have the skill set yet to be part of the innovation phase of getting to what you're talking about. What can we do to support people in that process? Well, I think that we need to do what we did for textile workers. Um, And I represented a district that called itself the textile capital of the world. Um, in the 50s and 60s. And, of course, I didn't represent it until the 90s and uh, then again in the 2000s. But in the meantime, something happened. Uh, What happened was the expiration of the multi-fiber agreement, which meant that the old requirement that your shirt had to be made out of American material, even if it was cut and sewn in Costa Rica or Nicaragua, still had to be American material. Well, that's, that went away. And when it went away, the textile industry went with it. Um, now, we still have some textiles here in South Carolina, but um, there are far fewer people involved in textiles, and we surely don't call ourselves the textile capital of the world. Um, what we call ourselves now is more of an automotive place because BMW invested $6 billion in Greer, South Carolina, and they... It literally replaced the textile industry with people in their direct employment and in um, and in uh, supplier jobs. They replaced the textile industry. Now, th- this is hard, though, because you know I I was in 
was uh, I was in Kentucky speaking at Boys Kentucky Boys State uh, several three summers ago I guess and then in West Virginia two summers ago speaking to Boys State and you know I, uh, I it's really hard it, when it was three years ago in Kentucky that was before. Uh, well, I guess it's right at when things started going down for coal. Uh, you know, the the coal companies have lost 95% of their market values since 2011. 95%. And so many of them are going bankrupt. Um, the, the issue right now, the immediate issue, is how to hold on to the pensions um, so that retired miners don't become destitute. And so that's something that's probably going to involve a some sort of federal bailout of that. Um, I, don't, I don't know any way around it. I don't think the state of Kentucky has enough money for that, nor the state of West Virginia. Um, and those companies are bankrupt now. Um, and we've all benefited from what the coal miners did for us. They got black lung and and, uh, you know, uh, had really difficult working lives, and the rest of us enjoyed the electricity they provided. So it's time to pay them back by um, honoring their pensions. Um, I realize some people wouldn't like that. They'd say, no, that's a government bailout. Well, it, it is. That's exactly what it is. But we're all in this together, aren't we? Because we all enjoyed that cheap electricity. Um, and we got to pay for it now. And... Um, and then retraining also makes sense. That's what we offered to textile workers. It worked, um, uh, I, th I think, to some extent. That's why BMW found good workers here, because they were trained in the textile industry, and they were hardworking, had a good work ethic, and they were able to be retooled into uh, people that could handle the sophisticated robotic machinery at uh, BMW. So... Um, it's all about retraining and honoring those pension obligations, I think. And, um, it, but, but I don't mean to sugarcoat that. It does not mean it's easy. Uh, it is not easy. It is a hard situation. I want to end a little bit as we began talking about um, sort of your Republican heresies, because I think that they are a meaningful window into what could happen from Donald Trump's candidacy. I saw you speaking with Chris Hayes, um, having a little bit of an optimistic take on where we could go from here because Donald Trump so throws out the window all what's become standard Republican orthodoxy. I do hope that this gives the party a chance to rebuild. So I've just waved a magic wand and and made you the chair of the Republican Party in 2017. What are the top three issues that you would focus on to move the party and the country forward? I'd say that we are a free enterprise party that believes in the future and that um, uh, actually loves our black friends, brown friends, gay friends and climate scientists and that we are ready to embrace all the above and to lead especially young people into another generation of conservatism which is based on free enterprise and that uh, deals with data on climate change and that doesn't hate their black friends, brown friends and gay friends and that, that would be the party that I'd like to see. And I think that it's a party that has an incredible realignment opportunity ahead of it. Because I know that there are so many progressive, young progressives out there who are frustrated with the bureaucratic welfare state. They want government at the speed of an app. And they don't know why they can't have it. And they don't want to lock arms with labor union bosses and people who live off of victimhood and victimization, they don't, they don't want to be with those people, and they don't want to be with the environmental left, which gives you the feeling that you're an invasive species. Um, they, they want a free enterprise party that's just a lovable party. And uh, to be lovable, you got to be loving. And so if we were that, I think they would 
say, hey, you're, you're cool because we like you. And what we don't like is mean people suck. That's what we don't like. And um, you're, the, the grumpy affect you got going with your grumpy old party turned us off. But if you now you're going to show us the grand opportunity party, we could be very excited about being with you. And they'd leave that crusty old Democratic Party behind. And uh, we, we'd have an exciting new free enterprise party. But it does mean we've got to lose this grumpy old party affect. Um, we, we've got to show ourselves to actually be the Grand Opportunity Party. Well, I find you very inspiring, and I really appreciate your time. How can our listeners learn more about what you're doing at Republican.org and get involved? Well, we really very much invite them to do so, and we need them to do so. All it takes is about two minutes. You go to RepublicEN.org, and you click on Stand With Us. You take a selfie so we can see you, and so politicians can actually see you. Uh, we'll give you some pre-printed reasons that you're in on free enterprise solutions to climate change, or we love it if you write your own. And then um, get involved with us by forwarding social media stuff that you find attractive from us. We'll send you a very nice T-shirt um, and some styling sunglasses, um, <laughs> so there'll be conversation starters. Um, and it's basically just spreading the word through that means of social media and through personal contact and um, showing that there's a constituency for action out there. And once politicians get the feeling that there's a, um, that there's a parade that's starting up out on Main Street, they'll run around out front to lead it where it's already going. Uh, but what we need right now is some people who are willing to step off the curb out onto the street, realizing that at first you may be singing solo or in a very small choir, but once we build that choir into a chorus and into a, a, a big old uh, symphony that joins in brass band and we get some music playing out there on Main Street, that's when the politicians will come out down out of their offices and run around out front to lead that parade right on down Main Street. So what we need right now is just some people that are willing to step off the curb and um, and uh, get out there in the street and, um, and, and start singing a little bit. Because once we start singing that tune, I know this, conservatives are going to recognize it as a completely hummable tune. It's what we believe as conservatives, is that you make people accountable and then you watch the free enterprise system solve problems. Thank you so much to Bob Inglis, to his team at Republican.org for helping us make this interview happen. We'll be back with you, both of us, on Tuesday. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. 